If you have your Bible here today, I, I will invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Of course, we'll be bouncing around all over the Scriptures this morning, but I want to talk to you this morning about a very sensitive subject that the Lord has led me to this morning. The title of our message today is LBGT and the Gospel. A few years ago, our church was holding a meal for a high school football team. Our wonderful hospitality team had prepared a, a pregame meal for the team, and we were going to use that not only as an opportunity to feed these athletes, but also to challenge them with the gospel. So as we welcomed our guests that day, I noticed that this team was all boys and one girl. And when I saw the young lady in this room full of roughnecks, I thought, well, there's a rose among the thorns. And I wondered, I said, well, I wonder what position she might have on the team. As the athletes got seated, I made an announcement that went something like this. Hey, we're so glad that you've come to Liberty Baptist Church. My name is Derek McCarson. We welcome you. We pray that you will enjoy this time you have before your game. I said, and this is a great looking group of boys and girl. And then I proceeded to ask the blessing on the food. Well, I said amen. And as the athletes got up and rushed to go get their food, the girl on the team approached me and she said, please don't refer to me as a girl. She said, I'm gender binary. She said, I am male. Call me so and so. And then she gave me a male name masculine name to call her and I was stunned and that was my introduction to the so-called transgender revolution now many of you know that since the 1960s there has been an all-out assault in this country on the traditional family and human sexuality some of you remember that it started with the hippies their mantra at Woodstock was sex drugs and rock and roll and then, of course, we saw a homosexual revolution in the 80s and the 90s, which finally culminated in 2015 when the SCOTUS, or the Supreme Court decision to legalize same-sex marriage. And that sad day was celebrated by the Obama presidency when the White House was lit up in the colors of the gay pride flag. And by the way, that's not a symbol of pride. According to the Bible, that's a symbol of God's promise. Now, with each generation, though, the LBGT agenda has successfully tried to erase those distinctions between what is considered traditional versus taboo. And the most recent front of our culture war has been attacked is the last and most basic definition. And I'm talking about biological sex. That is the line between male and female. Now, if you don't believe me, just listen to the mission statement of that woke liberal mob that's disguised as social justice warriors. I'm talking about the organization Black Lives Matter. And we affirm, yes, black lives do matter. All lives matter to God. They recently updated their mission statement, but in 2020, when BLM rioters were tearing up U.S. cities, here's what their website said about them. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters. 
We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. They have declared war on the family. And they said we foster a queer affirming network. Now just as it was in 2015 when the Supreme Court decided on the issue of same-sex marriage, we now have a monumental debate going on in Washington, D.C. over the issue of gay and transgender so-called rights, male and female. On Thursday, February the 25th of this year, 2021, there was a piece of legislation called the Equality Act that was passed in our U.S. House of Representatives. It was passed by a vote of 224-206. The Equality Act now moves on to the U.S. Senate, where it remains to be seen whether it will be voted on or whether it will be filibustered. So what is the Equality Act? It is a central piece of the Biden administration as he pronounced and promised that he would have it passed within the first 100 days of his presidency. Now that name, Equality, it sounds inclusive and positive, but friend, don't be fooled. Basically, what the Equality Act is, it's a way of forcing the LBGT agenda on the American people by making an amendment to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And just as the passage of that law secured rights and, and a recognition for people of all skin color, they want to do that same thing and even more with the gay and lesbian agenda. And if this bill, if it's passed, it will bypass First Amendment protections over religious liberty, it will endanger women, and it will put the favor of radical LBGT accommodations at the forefront of our country. The February 2021 issue of Decision Magazine actually printed the opinion of a Christian lawyer, a lady named Christian Wagoner. She serves on the Alliance for Defending Freedom. Here's her expert opinion on what she believes will be coming as a result of the Equality Act if it's passed. She said, quote, The bill's title is deceptive. If Biden signs the Equality Act into law, we can expect to see more frequent conflicts between the government and anyone who holds to millennia-old beliefs about marriage and family. The bill, she said, could force women and girls to share bathrooms and locker rooms with men who believe they are women. Similar laws and policies, she said, has already been used to justify male participation in and domination of high school girls and college women's athletics. This bill, she said, would greatly affect how churches, Christian schools, and businesses operate, forcing them to hire people who don't share their convictions. In short, she said, this would be a game changer. Equality, in quotes, sounds like a good idea until it is weaponized to punish religious convictions or to force us to ignore biological reality resulting in treating females and people of faith unequally. Now friends, we stand at the edge of a precipice once again in our nation. And the passing of the Equality Act, if it is signed through, would signal massive social change and I believe it would be another step toward the persecution of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who would have ever thought that we would come to the day 
where pastors and preachers would have to address these issues with the church so fundamental as the difference between male and female that we don't get to redefine our gender. Now let me be clear this morning. This is not the kind of message that I relish in preaching. I struggled mightily this week. I fought Satan tooth and nail for this message. But I feel so strongly that I would not be doing my job if I did not in some way address this and equip you as God's people on this controversial and divisive topic. Let it be known that the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church is not afraid of the cancel culture. We will address things as God says in His Word. The culture may not like it. We may be branded, we may be persecuted, they may come for me, they may make snide comments and attack, but friend, I have a mandate to stand on the Word of God. The purpose of this message is not to condemn anybody, not to browbeat anybody, not to make us feel holier than thou, none of that. It's simply to help us as God's people to stand strong in this day of evil, to help us think biblically, about these issues because I've got kids that I have to instruct. I've got young people under my care that need to know how to think, how to be wise, and to know what God says about these things so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along. And to offer also a plan of action for how we should live. Number one, I want you to see this today. Number one, the science we cannot redefine. The science we cannot redefine. And you say, well, preacher, I thought that science and faith were opposites. No, no. As you study the Word of God and as you understand it, you see that science eventually has to come around to God's way of thinking. If we go back to the creation account in Genesis 1, we see very clearly that God has established the boundaries of marriage, sex, and the family when He made our first parents, Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, look at this. The Bible says, For God created man in His own image. And in the image of God He created him, watch this, male and female, He created them, And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God made Adam and Eve. He married them in the garden. He said, Populate the earth. Enjoy your marriage. Be a regent. Be a king over creation. Now these foundational verses explain how God created the basic building blocks for human civilization. That there are two sexes and only two sexes, male and female. That marriage is for one man and one woman. And sex is God's gift to be enjoyed between those marriage partners. Now, you don't have to be a doctor or a scientist to look at the anatomy of a human body and understand that men and women were designed to fit together in a complementary way. God made men and women this way, not only for intimacy and pleasure, but for procreation. In other words, the only way the human race perpetuates itself is through the biblical family model. Any other arrangement for family 
or sex besides one man, one woman inside the union of marriage is, listen, a perversion and a corruption of God's original design and therefore it is sinful and evil. This is where our culture pushes back. And you hear statements such as, well, God made me gay. My body, my choice. I was born, they say, as a woman trapped in a man's body. They say gender isn't fixed, it's fluid, and I can decide what I want to be depending on how I feel that particular day when I roll out of bed. Now, this issue really came to the forefront in the 2020 election when then-presidential hopeful Joe Biden was fielding some questions during one of those town hall gatherings. And a voter asked President Biden what he thought about children determining their gender. And he said in a statement back to the woman who asked the questions that eight-year-olds should not face discrimination if they decide to change their gender. Friend, I have almost an eight-year-old at home. He can't even decide when to go to bed. And you're going to tell him that he can decide whether he wants to be a boy or a girl for the rest of his life? Are you kidding me? I think that's a statement of somebody who will say anything that needs to be said in order to be elected. Spineless, gutless, no morals. How in the world can we trust a man to sit in the seat of the most powerful office in the world when he can't even decide for himself the basics between man and woman. He doesn't even recognize the sanctity of life and of marriage and of gender boundaries as God has defined in His Word. According to God's Word, a man like that is not fit for leadership. I know that's not politically correct. And I know that I'll probably get some comments and some emails about that, but that's okay because I'm standing on God's Word. Now listen, recently Biden has appointed the first transgender officer, Rachel or Richard Levine, as the Assistant Health Secretary. Which is ironic to me because, as we will see, transgender is the very epitome of unhealthy Right? This is where we need to point our culture, not just to the Bible, but to science, which is still to this day has yet to discover the so called gay gene, which links our DNA with same sex or transgender behaviors. Because I've heard it so many times. Well, I can't help the way that I am. It's in my DNA. I was born this way. I was born gay. I can't change. This is who I am. Well, science has studied this thing backwards and forwards. In fact, there was a huge headline in 2019 out of the Scientific American, a very respected and well-received journal, where they said in big bold in the headline, massive study finds no single genetic cause of same sexual behavior. What that means is that the sexually immoral can't point to their DNA and say, well, I can't help the way that I am. That's a cop-out. So that... They don't have to change. They don't have to admit guilt. They don't have to be held responsible before an almighty God. You know what is in our DNA? That we are all born equally in the image of almighty God. That all life is precious. Yes, even the unborn life. 
That's in our DNA. You know what else is in our DNA? That we are all born sinners. We're utterly broken, we're selfish, we're sinful, we're depraved, and the reason why we go left rather than God's right way is because the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's another scientific fact. Transgenders who struggle with their sexual identity have been at least up until now, clinically diagnosed with a condition known as gender dysphoria, which is actually considered by the American Psychological Association as a mental health issue, not as a way of treating it by undergoing radical reassignment surgery or hormone therapy. Do you think Caitlyn Jenner is any happier today after receiving that surgery than before? Still lost, still undone without Christ, still needing fulfillment, meaning, purpose, destiny, and the hope of heaven inside. No surgery is going to fix that. Only the great physician can do that. And our culture needs to understand this. No amount of cowing down to a political ideology or, or rewriting the rules in our constitution or trying to readjust science to get it to fit with some kind of agenda that we have or surgery or whatever. It's not going to solve the sinful heart problem. That's where the problem is. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Dr. Paul McHugh, he's a physician with John Hopkins University. Very prestigious. Listen to the statement he released recently. He said, quote, Being transgender is not a healthy state. We psychiatrists would do better to concentrate on trying to fix their minds and not their genitalia. We have wasted scientific and technical resources and damaged our professional credibility by collaborating with madness rather than trying to study, cure, and ultimately prevent it. He said, the problem with transgender people is not with their bodies, but it is with their minds. They think that sex assignment surgery will solve their psychological problems, but they are mystified when their symptoms persist. That's why he said many transsexuals regret their surgeries. They have, he said, irreversibly changed their bodies, yet their psychological distress is not relieved. It's no wonder then that the transgenders have the highest suicide rate of any group in the United States. In fact, what I read, 41% of transgenders attempt suicide. That's 10 times higher than the national average. You know what that tells me about this group of people? It tells me that they are deeply confused, that they live as tortured souls... And they desperately need the touch of Jesus Christ in their lives. As the church, we can't look down and condemn them and, and label them. We have to wrap them up and say, well, You need Jesus. What can I do to point you to the cross? I don't condone your lifestyle or your behavior, but, but God loves you and, and God doesn't want you to live in this torture anymore. We must, as the church, have compassion. That's where we lost out on influencing the gay community years and years ago because we took the wrong approach. We have to let them know that God loves them and that Christ died for them. 
And we need to ask God to give us the lenses to see through and to see that that is a person that God loves and that Jesus went to the cross for. The science we cannot redefine is the fact that God made us male and female. And any attempt to defy God's natural order will only result in personal and national ruin. Friend, you cannot deny biology any more than you can deny the law of gravity. God help us. The science we cannot redefine. Number two, I want you to see this. The sin we must not repeat. The sin we must not repeat. When I began thinking about this topic and how to approach it, I was reminded of the Old Testament account of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 19, we read about that ancient city of sin where they really lived there by the credo of anything goes. Not all that different from modern day America. Live any way you want to live as long as you're not hurting somebody. Right? We hear that all the time. But you'll remember that Lot, he was the nephew of Abraham. He moved into that city and he prospered greatly. In fact, he became a very important person. He sat at the gate of the city, the Bible says. But the people of Sodom were so depraved that God told Abraham, Look, the cup of iniquity is full. Judgment and wrath are coming upon them. Abraham pleaded with God in the role of an intercessor, of a mediator. He said, Lord, if there's just a few righteous down there, will you not spare them? And God sent a couple of angels to go and get Lot and his family out of Sodom before the destruction came. Now today, America is not that much different than Sodom of old. Amen? The gay and transgender thing, by the way, is just the tip of the iceberg. I could preach entirely on the sex trade. I could talk about all of the pornography that's pumped into our homes. I could talk about the high divorce rates even in the church. I could talk about all of that. But friend, Billy Graham once said it. If God doesn't judge America for her sin, he would have to apologize to Sodom. Now, Billy Graham said that in the 1960s. If that was true then, how much more true is it today? Now, in the interest of time, we don't have the ability to go back and study all of Genesis 19 and the destruction of Sodom. But we can get the Cliff Notes version of the story. And there's a little book in the back of the New Testament, the book of Jude. And in one verse, Jude verse 7, we get the sordid story. Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Jude reminds us, he says, look, the reason why God nuked Sodom is primarily because they were a people rife with sexual immorality. Their situation was so incorrigible that God brought fire on them and today, yes, the name Sodom is still synonymous with God's punishing wrath. How do we in this nation expect to escape the judgment? Especially when we continually and persistently snub our nose in the face of God. Let me give you an example. My heart sank the other day when I read that on the day that the House of Representatives was debating the Equality Act, there was a representative, Greg Stube. He was a Republican from Florida. In his opposing speech, he quoted Deuteronomy 22.5 on the floor of the House of Representatives. Here's what he said. 
He said, quote, A man must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. And then Stube added this. He said, It's not clothing or personal style that offends God, but rather the use of one's appearance to act out or to take on a sexual identity different from the one biologically assigned at birth. He said, The gender confusion that exists in our culture today is clear rejection of God's good design. And whenever a nation's laws no longer reflect the standards of God, he said, that nation is in rebellion and will inevitably bear the consequences. He's right. Might as well have been a Baptist preacher. I couldn't have said it any better. Well, after that statement, another representative, Jerry Nadler, Democrat from New York, pushed back. He stood up and he said this, Mr. Stube, and I quote, what any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern of this Congress. Friend, that's a politically correct way of saying, forget about God. We don't care. We're the ones who decide what is good and evil. We're lost, friend. I don't think the swamp got drained. God help us. We can already see the judgment of sin against our nation because as Romans 1 says, that when a culture comes to the end of the rope, God gives them over to a debased mind. We don't know right from wrong anymore, friend. We've made it illegal to catch speckled dace minnow, but yet it's totally legal to go and snuff out the life of the unborn. We're told if a man believes he is a woman that we are to pretend in his delusion with him or else we're a transphobe, homophobe, or a hater. We're told, hey, if you want to make up for injustice, people who've never owned slaves must pay back people who never were slaves. Friend, that's the insanity of a sinful mind. You ask me, have, has, has God's judgment come to this nation? Oh yeah, it's already here. Look at the leadership we got. Look at the things even being discussed. The fact that I even have to preach a message like this is sign to you and me we are under God's judgment. The judgment of sin. We say Mr. Potato Head, Dr. Seuss, and Aunt Jemima is offensive. And yet, Cardi B and the Drag Queen Story Hour is okay. How twisted are we as a people? And friend, let me tell you something else. I believe that the day will soon come when simply opening and reading from this book will be considered hate speech. And they'll want to come for people like you and people like me. It's coming. We would do well to remember the phrase that is etched in the marble of the Jefferson Memorial. You know what it says there? I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that His justice cannot sleep forever. God, if You sent revival to pagan Nineveh at the reluctant preaching of Jonah, God, will You not send revival to my country? God, will You not save my generation? Will You not open the eyes of the lost and the blind that I see every day? God, help us in this country.
God, help us in our churches to realize we can't play games anymore. We can't just do a halfway Christianity anymore. Look at where it's got us. We took Sunday off. We said God's Word is not important. I took prayer and Bible out of school and we said, well, I can't do anything about it. Look what's happened. Cultural Christianity ain't going to cut it anymore, friend. I'm sorry if it, if it sounds like I'm yelling at you. I'm just burned by God. Oh, God. I think about my children. What kind of world are they going to grow up in? I'm afraid for my kids to go out in public because I'm afraid some crazy person's going to abduct them and throw them in a sex trade. I'm afraid that some crazy person's going to follow my wife into the bathroom. What kind of world have we created? Only God can fix it. Washington, D.C., they don't have the answer. Don't put your hope in a president. He won't solve it. No matter what side of the aisle he's on, we're too far gone. It's the sin we can't repeat, friends. Please hear me on this. I'm preaching from a broken heart. I'm preaching because I believe that God's judgment is real. And I don't want anybody to face that without Christ. Young person, you better get your life ready. Young person, youth, do you know Jesus Christ today? Older person, are you playing games? Have you let COVID sweep you into some sort of sleep? We need you back. We need you serving the Lord. Why can't we come to church on Wednesday night? Is God's Word not important? What are we doing? Our culture's going to hell in a handbasket. Do we care? It's the sin we cannot repeat. God help us. I'm burdened. I'm broken. Please know that I love you. I'm not mad. I am full of righteous indignation though. And I do love you. Please know that I love you. I wouldn't preach to you like this if I didn't. Look at this. Look at this. Number one was this. Number one was the science we can't redefine. Number two was the sin we cannot or must not repeat. And then thirdly, number three is this. The sign we dare not reject. The sin we must not repeat and the sign we dare not reject. Jesus gave us many signs to look for as the days draw near to the end and to His promised return. Luke 17 contains one of those prophetic passages where Jesus tells us how that the last days will resemble very much the days of Lot leading up to Sodom's sudden and complete destruction. Look at what Jesus said there. Luke 17, verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. 
so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Notice that the days of Lot were characterized by a couple of things. There was spiritual passivity and there was sexual perversion. There was also sudden punishment. In other words, what the Bible is saying here is the lost people went about their lives like business as usual. That's buying, selling, marrying. They went downhill in terms of their morals. And then that's when, without warning, the fire started falling. And by then it was too late to save anybody. Notice, friends, we're living in days a lot like those of Lot. Our lives have been disrupted by COVID. But things are beginning to turn back to something semi-normal. Schools are back in session. Several states are starting to lift those restrictions. Wall Street, buying, selling, trading. Look at how high the stock market is. Executive orders, they're being written at breakneck speed without ever a thought of the long-term ramifications of what that might mean. And our sexual immorality grows darker and more deviant. And friend, we're slouching towards Sodom. And the signs of the times, as I've studied Bible prophecy for years now, I see it. The times indicate that the season of the Lord's return is near and we've got to be living with urgency and purity and expectancy. So some of you may be sitting out there wondering and say, well, good gracious, what do I do with a message like this? You've already cried on me. You've slobbered, you spit, you yelled at me. What am I supposed to do with all this? Here's what we can do. Listen to me. If you're lost, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, if you're unsure of your salvation, I wouldn't waste another day playing in the devil's fairground because, friend, the rides aren't free. There's a payday someday. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to come to an old-fashioned altar, ask God to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and meet the face of the Savior. Don't waste any more time. Tomorrow, you'll have more sin to repent of. You'll have less time to repent in. And you'll have a harder heart to do it with. Repent today. You may be sitting out there wondering, well, what do I do? Derek, I, I, I applaud everything you said. I'm a Bible believer. I, amen. I'm right there with you. Let me offer you a negative example in the story of Lot as we close today. You know, one of the curious things about Lot is that although he appeared to know the God of Abraham in a superficial way, Lot did very little to stand for God. He did very little to swim against the tide of sin in his day. He didn't even prepare his family to walk in righteousness. Listen to 2 Peter 6, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. Listen to this insight. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as the righteous man lived among them day after day, watch this, he was tormented in his righteous soul over the lawless deeds and what he saw and heard. Then, watch this, verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Think of old Lot living in Sodom for just a minute. He prospered in that city. He became a very important person. Bible says that when the angels found him, he was sitting at the gate of the city. That's 
City Hall, where they make decisions, where deals are done. Yet Lot knew the standard of God. He knew the holiness of God. And that's why Peter says in that passage that his righteous soul was vexed by the immorality that he witnessed going all around him. And yet when you study Genesis 19, you never see Lot one time standing up on a soapbox preaching to the people saying, Hey, this is wrong. We're, we're, we're headed down the abyss. Y'all better repent and trust in Jesus or, or trust in the God of Abraham. He never was a man of righteousness. He never stood up to the culture around him. He just went along with the flow. He was such a poor spiritual leader that living in Sodom cost him everything because when you get to the end and he's leaving Sodom, he loses his wife and he loses his sons. They die or turn into a pillar of salt there in the city. He did not even prepare his family. What kind of man is that? Lot may have escaped Sodom, but listen to me, friend. He had to smell a smoke on his garments. And friends, we live in a sinful world. We're called to live in it, but not be of it. Amen? Listen, if there's one thing I take away from this, don't follow Lot's example. Don't just live in this sinful world and say, well, bless God, that's terrible what they're doing up there in Washington. I hate it. Man, I wish we could do something about it. You can't, we can't live that way anymore. Not as God's people. We can't just be passive and just say, well, you know, I'm not telling you to go out and protest. I'm not telling you to make a picket and go downtown Asheville and be hateful. I'm not telling you to get on Facebook and be argumentative with anybody. What I am telling you is that this, we'll just go with the flow mentality. Those days are gone. We can't have that mentality anymore. Because look, we know we're living in Sodom. We know the times and the seasons. We know that Jesus Christ is on the cusp of coming for His church. What then ought of people should you and I be? Are we preparing our children, our families, to live in this lost and dying world? Because friend, if this equality act, whether it gets passed or not, I got news for you. It ain't going anywhere. And I don't see the culture getting any better. And I don't think church is going to get any easier either. So we have to dig in our heels and we have to make the decision today. Listen to me. This woke liberal culture wants Christians and conservatives to sit down and shut up. They would like nothing more than for people like me and you to sit down and just take what's coming. But we have to sound the alarm and tell our world, listen, don't you hear the warning bells? Judgment is coming. We have to engage with people who don't vote the way that we vote, who don't think the way that we think morally. We have to engage them in a loving, compassionate, Christ-like, and wise way. Because, friend, we're not in the majority anymore. We're the minority. You're not in Kansas anymore. The world has changed. COVID changed it. The election changed it. We're in Sodom. It's the way it's going to be. We can't bellyache, whine, and complain about how bad things are. Because it's not going to do any good. But you know what we can do? We can live for Jesus Christ. We can start digging into this book. We can come back and start getting involved in church. We can say, look, I know my world is lost. I know my country is in desperate times. 
but I am doing all that I can to raise my family, to be an influence for Jesus Christ, to be salt and light, because I understand the time is drawing nigh, and I've only got a little bit of time to do God's will. We have to train our young people and our kids how to live in this wicked, sideways world. Because if I, as a dad, don't sit down and teach my children that Word of God, you know what's going to happen? They're going to get sucked into the Sodom psyche. And they're going to come back years later and have no thought of God. Dad, I don't want to go to church. Dad, I don't want to serve the God that you serve. Heaven forbid. I pray that God would strike me down before that happened. God help us. Listen, anybody in the LBGT community, listening, online, whatever, if you're in that lifestyle, listen to me now. God loves you. Jesus died for you. The people of this church love you. You are welcome here to come and be a part of this. But we will preach to you the gospel of Christ. And the gospel of Christ compels us to warn you of God's holy, righteous wrath against sin. Just as much as it does to tell you about His mercy, His endless love, and His abundant grace. And what you seek, LBGT person, what you are seeking through sexual liberation, you're actually getting enslavement from Satan. You will not find what you are looking for in that lifestyle. It's empty, vapid. It's like drinking salt water. It'll only leave you more thirsty. You must come to Christ. You must repent. You must see His marvelous mercy and grace. Everything that you are wanting, LBGT community, the love, the acceptance, all of that, you will find it in Jesus Christ alone. That's our only message. That's the only thing that I have for you and for this world. You know why we can't stay silent? Not only is there another generation, but you know what? There's somebody else that God wants to save. There's somebody else that God wants to save from out of this wicked Sodom world. And if we stay silent, and if we roll over, and if we get him into fear, we lose that opportunity, don't we? And when I stand before Jesus Christ one day, I don't want to have blood on my hands for what I didn't do or for what I made an excuse for. Listen to this, how God can work. At the age of 13, Jeffrey McCall started feeling same-sex attraction. True story. From the age of 18 to 23, he lived a raging homosexual lifestyle. Partying, popping Xanax, smoking crystal meth, and being promiscuous with several gay boyfriends. Now before you curl your nose and you say that's disgusting, hang on. Your sin may look differently than somebody else's sin. We all need grace. He said, during his mid-twenties, Jeffrey went deeper into his sexual depravity by adopting a drag queen alter ego, Scarlet, who you see pictured there. For five years, Jeffrey lived as a woman and made plans to go through the expensive transition surgery and become Scarlet permanently. 
But the longer Jeffrey lived as Scarlet, the more miserable and depressed he became. One night he attempted suicide but failed to go through with it. He was drinking heavily. He was even prostituting himself to survive. He said, my life was a living hell. Desperate for answers, Jeffrey started watching YouTube, listening to preachers. I always come to the preacher when it's a last opportunity. He discovered Jensen Franklin on YouTube. He started listening to Pastor Franklin more and more, and then he visited the church. Soon after a visit, Jeffrey cried out to Jesus for healing and salvation. Jeffrey said this in his testimony, In June 2016, I decided I'm going to throw away the hair, the makeup, the clothes, the shoes, everything I have as scarlet. So he said, I went to a dumpster and I threw my whole life away. Then after attending church one day, Jeffrey felt the Holy Spirit speak to him. Just like he's speaking to some of you today right now. God said to me, he said, you're going to make a Facebook live video in which you will cut ties from everything of your past. The Holy Spirit told him, you must publicly acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior and you must cut ties and repent of being a drunkard, a homosexual, and the life of scarlet. All of it you must publicly repent of. Jeffrey said he made the video. He received hundreds of comments and messages telling him how he couldn't leave the LBGT lifestyle. But Jeffrey said this, quote, When I started losing the friends and some family members from my old life, that's when Jesus Christ became real to me. Today, Jeffrey is involved in his church and is passionate about preaching the gospel to people in the LBGT lifestyle who, like he was, was hurting confused and wondering does God really love me when you get down to it whether we're gay or straight black or white our hearts all ache for the same thing does God really love me he does marvelously eternally, gloriously. He loves you. And He wants to save you and transform you. You don't have to stay in that lifestyle. You don't have to be that drunkard, that addict, that angry person, that depressed person, that person who goes to alcohol and pills, that person who's seeking fulfillment in some sort of sexual identity. You don't have to live that way. It's Jesus Christ. Praise God. He'll save you. And then He'll give you joy like you never knew in your life you could have. Oh, man, I wish you could know. If you don't today, can we have an open altar? Stacy, will you come? Preston, will you come? Please know I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody. Please don't hear that in my message. But I do think we need to do this as a church. I think we need to repent. Starting with me. I need to have more heart like Jesus. And I need to realize the burden of responsibility lies on me as pastor, husband, dad, co-worker, neighbor. We're going to hear about Jesus. It's on me.
Let's repent as a church. Let's pray for our nation. If you need Jesus today, I want to help you find Him. Young person, do you know Christ? Are you living for the world? Are you sure, young person, that if you were to walk out these doors today and die in a car accident, that you would stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and He would say, yes, I know Him, Father. Let Him in. Or would He say to you, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. Come to Christ now.